knows what this picture means? Anybody? Okay, so for those of you who don't, this picture um, was uh, taken during a football game a few weeks ago. Uh, a picture of two unlikely friends. George Bush, former Republican president, um, somebody who endorsed a constitutional amendment against same-sex marriage, appearing to enjoy a laugh, share a joke with Ellen DeGeneres, high-profile comedian and LGBTQ activist. I see that picture and I think, wow, isn't that great? That was not the reaction, apparently, of most of the people online. They were indignant that these two should be seen sitting beside one another, laughing together. And it was interesting to me to notice, apparently, from the very little reading that I did online, the most moral indignation did not come from the Christian right. It came from people who were deeply offended that Ellen would be seen to share airtime with George Bush. Given all the ways that George Bush represents what Ellen actively fights against, how could she be sitting next to him? And so Ellen DeGeneres actually addressed this in an opening monologue um, in one of her shows. And she began by urging everybody, you know, we can be kind to one another. And then she continued by saying, here's the thing. I'm friends with George Bush. In fact, I'm friends with a lot of people who don't share the same beliefs that I have. We're all different, and I think we've forgotten that that's okay. We're all different, and I think we've forgotten that that's okay. Well, today we're talking about reconciliation. Now, Christian reconciliation is not just two people with very different convictions on different issues, sitting beside one another, avoiding all the things they disagree about, and laughing at a common joke. That's not reconciliation. But maybe somehow that embodies a part of it. Simple kindness, our recognition of a common humanity, our recognition for those of us who are Christian that the image of God exists in all of us, that the light of God is available for all of us, maybe that's not a bad start, humanly speaking. So this Second Corinthians series is a thematic series. So last week I told you a little bit about the backstory of this book, which is a really important backstory to understand. Uh, and it's not yet on the website, but it will be this afternoon along with this message. So if you haven't heard last week's, it is a, an important one that kind of sets the foundation for the rest of, of, uh, of what's going to follow. But this series, which is a thematic series, we've called Weakness is the Way. Because over all these different themes that we're going to be talking about, the first one today being reconciliation, the overall heading or the, or the thread, if you like, that runs through the whole book is this idea of weakness. Paul talks about weakness so much in this letter because the fundamental standing of the Corinthian church, the people that he's writing to, is that they didn't understand that the Christian way was about weakness. There was no room in their theology for weakness in themselves, in their leaders, in their God. 
And so Paul talks about weakness because he thinks that they need to know that. And he talks about weakness because he himself has experienced that as a leader. And he's experiencing it right then in his relationship with the Corinthians. And weakness is also this underlying thread because the way of Christ is weakness. The way of Christ is death on a cross and resurrected life. But it begins in death. And in fact, reconciliation begins in death. If we're going to talk about the the wide-rangingness of reconciliation that maybe at some point looks like two people being able to sit together who think differently about things. It begins all the way over here with a death. With the death of Christ. And in fact, it's, it's this death and resurrection of Christ which is the root of reconciliation which is kind of like the thing that puts everything back together. Jesus' death and resurrection puts everything back together. That's the message of reconciliation. And our calling as those who walk in the way of weakness or who walk in the way of reconciliation, our call is to embody and to proclaim that truth. I love this quote that Eugene Peterson Uh, writes, he actually is writing about the book of Ephesians, but it applies equally well here. The energy of reconciliation is the dynamo at the heart of the universe. I wanted to begin today with the theme of reconciliation, not because it actually comes first in the book of 2 Corinthians, but because it is such a central theme to the gospel. It's central to the letter too, but this idea of reconciliation, this dynamic energy at the heart of the universe. It's, it's how we best understand the gospel. If I was to sum up the gospel in one word, it would be reconciled. If, it was, if I had to have three words, it would be reconciled in Christ. And our calling as Christians is to be reconcilers. So let's look at how Paul works that out in the text before us today. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and following. So I'm going to actually be reading it from the message. Feel free to read along in whatever version you've got to hear some of the differences, but the message uh, by Yunji Peterson proclaims this really well. So the first section that we're going to read is a new world order. So reconciliation begins with with something that happens at the very center, a declaration of a new world order in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and following. Our firm decision is to work from this focused center. One man died for everyone. That puts everyone in the same boat. He included everyone in his death so that everyone could also be included in his life. A resurrection life, a far better life than people ever lived on their own. This new world order begins at the center with Christ. This death and this resurrection. And in Eugene Peterson's translation, you'll notice that everyone, that word is repeated four times to hammer this point home. This this death, this resurrection, this core, it has meaning for Everyone, everyone is in the same boat, whether they know it or realize it or ever acknowledge it, we're all 
in this together. It's an inauguration of God's kingdom. The new world order begins, has begun with Christ. And what goes along with this new world order, this new way of ordering and and living a life, it begins with a new way of seeing. This is how Paul tells it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 to 16. Because of this decision, we don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. We looked at the Messiah that way once and got it all wrong, as you know. We certainly don't look at him that way anymore. Now we look inside. And what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start, is created new. The old life is gone, a new life burgeons. Look at it. This new way of seeing is illustrated in Paul's story himself. He says, we looked at the Messiah that way once and we got it all wrong. Well, those of you who know the story know that Paul was a self-proclaimed public enemy number one of Jesus. He literally signed the death warrants on many Christians' lives. He missed it. He didn't look closely enough to see what God was doing. He He saw weakness and dismissed it out of hand. But now, Paul says, no, I I got it all wrong, but now I see it clearly. I don't look at Christ that way anymore, and I don't look at anybody that way anymore. We look inside and we see that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start, created new. What an amazing declaration. If anyone is in Christ, a new creation is how it says in the Greek. Now that anyone, that really is anyone. That anyone is in Christ is not meant to distinguish the us and the them. There are, to be sure, some people who acknowledge that they are in Christ. But even those who are not, they have the seed of that possibility within them. They have the seed of that new life about to spring up that's that's made possible by Christ. Remember too that the Corinthians themselves have been writing off Paul in the same way that Paul once wrote off Christ. The NIV says something like we don't we we used to see people from a worldly way, we used to see Christ from a worldly way, we used to see people this way and we don't anymore. Part of me feels like in that backstory that we know was going on between Paul and his conflicted relationship with the Corinthians, that he might be saying to them, hey, don't look at me with that worldly way either. Don't don't judge me by the standards that you might judge a successful leader, because I'm I'm weak and I'm fallible, and, and I know we have issues here, but don't look at me that way, because I too, you, we are all new creations in Christ. So a new world order, a new way of seeing, which leads into a new way of being. 2 Corinthians 5, uh, verses 18 to 19. All this comes from the God who settled the relationship between us and them, and then called us to settle our relationships with each other. God put the world square with himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. 
The heart of reconciliation is not just getting along with someone else. It's not just being a good person or even offering forgiveness. This new way of being is not grounded in us being nice people. It's grounded in our experience of forgiveness and reconciliation with God. The fresh start that God gives us, he invites us to extend and to live that out in the world. God's action in Christ, Jesus' death and resurrection, is like ground zero of this atomic love bomb that is going off. And the circles get bigger and bigger and bigger. There's no division between a spiritual reality and a lived-out reality. Paul is saying they're all, they're all connected. It starts here, but then these circles, these change, these transformative, fresh start circles start radiating outwards. This new life changes everything. This new life transforms our relationship with God, the way we see ourselves, and the way we relate to one another. God puts the world square with himself. The world, not just people, although that's a part of it, but the world. Something about the death and life of Jesus fixes the entirety of what's wrong with our broken world. You've heard me talk in, Febu- uh, in September, lots of us, John as well as Rod, talking about this idea of reconnection. That, that was our theme for the, for the fall. And you could actually read those verses in front of you and where you see reconciliation in the NIV, you replace the word reconnection. And that's what we're talking about here. A sense of reconnectedness vertically with God. But the vertical dimension, our reconciliation, our reconnection with God is not complete without it being worked out here. It's not just this. It's not just this. In fact, it occurs to me now as I'm doing these hand gestures, I'm actually making the shape of the cross. (laughs) Right? I'm not Catholic. I was Catholic. But... um, Reconnection, reconciliation, vertically, also horizontally, and and even kind of horizontally between one another and then around in all creation. God puts the world square with himself. So a new way, a new world order, a new way of seeing, a new way of being, and a new calling. That's the last one. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 19 to 21. God has given us the task of telling everyone what he's doing. We're Christ's representatives. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making things right between them. We're speaking for Christ himself now. Become friends with God. He's already a friend with you. How, you ask? In Christ. God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong so we could be put right with God. It's interesting that in this whole passage, Paul is continually referencing Christ and what Christ did and yet always drawing the line outwards. It doesn't just stop here. It's not just me and Jesus and we're right with each other. It always means extension towards other. So this new calling is for us to be ambassadors, it says in the NIV. We are ambassadors of reconciliation. What's an ambassador? I remember Andrea said, 
a really good sermon on that recently, actually. An ambassador, <laughs> you don't remember it. <laughs> I do. An ambassador is one who represents someone else's interests, right? An ambassador is someone who represents someone else's message. An ambassador is someone who doesn't live actually in the place where they're representing this other. They're often, they're often living in a foreign land, but bringing the customs and the convictions of their homeland, of their ruler, they're bringing those things to bear in a foreign place. That's our calling, to be ministers of reconciliation. Our proclamation, as I've already said, is that Jesus' death and resurrection puts everything back together. Fractured relationships, dysfunctional families, ruptured communities, broken systems, broken relationships with God, all those things put right somehow, starting now, not fully realized yet, in Christ. All things made new. That's where all this is going. And that's our declaration. That's the message God gives us as his ambassadors. This new world order, which includes all of us. This new way of seeing, where everyone is seen. No invisible people here, friends. We, we see with new eyes. We don't see based on, on appearances. We see with God's vision into the heart of people. And we see that God is doing something new in everyone. And we have a new way of being with one another, relationships which are restored or, or relationships where we are working towards restoration. And a new calling, that of being ambassadors, not representing our own interests, but representing the message and the customs and the identity of our home country, of our king. Now, what does this look like? I've always read this passage and thought that it was incredibly meaningful, and yet all that spiritual language didn't actually help me to connect with the real world. So, two offers for you. One way is how it looks in Paul's life. This man who has this really conflicted relationship with the church that he once planted, spent 18 months loving and teaching, and then left to discover everything going awry, to discover his leadership being called into question, to be to be watching this community go off the rails theologically. And, and what is he doing? How, how is he living out this reconciliation? He's, he's calling them back to himself. He's not giving up on them. He's pleading with them, be reconciled with God. And I hear behind that, knowing the backstory, I wonder if Paul is even saying, be reconciled with me. That, that's one way that, that you can live out your love for God is, let's be reconciled, you and I. And he's offering it sort of with this humble boldness. The way of weakness is how he does it. He's, he's, he's offering it, not admitting, not saying that he's perfect, but admitting his weakness and saying, let's, let's be reconciled, you and me. We don't know the ending of the story with Paul and the Corinthians. We don't know if their relationship got worked out. We don't know if they said yes to his plea to be reconciled. We don't know if they ever decided that Paul was an acceptable leader for them to follow. And I kind of like it that we don't know the end of the story because we 
can ourselves then imagine ourselves in all those places that we're aware of where we either need to receive God's reconciliation and wholeness and healing or where we are being <clears throat> called to extend that call to others, <clears throat> those stories aren't finished in our lives either. We don't know how it's going to end. Well, we do ultimately know how it's going to end. God making all things new. But there is this now but not yet unfinished story that is even unfinished in Paul's, in Paul's writing to the Corinthians. So what does it look like? Well, look at Paul. That's how it could look. I was searching for another way of capturing this idea of, of being an ambassador, of being a, a minister of reconciliation. And here's what I've come up with, and maybe it'll work for you and maybe it won't, but I'm going to give it a go here. So um, last night, Matt and I went to the East Van Opry. It's this really uh, fun musical event that features all kinds of different acts throughout the night, kind of with a bit of a bluegrassy kind of country feel. Matt's the one who likes country music, not me, just putting it out there. It's... Oh, he's done. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. That wasn't very reconciling of me, was it? Um, so we've been a couple of years now. The first year we went a few years ago, great music. And at one point, uh, the person up at the front invited everybody to, anybody who wanted to dance, to, to be in the square dance, to come up to the front. And it's like a really, like it's about this much space. So there's a really good caller, and he started to call the dance. And, uh, and some people started coming down to dance. That was a couple of years ago. Matt and I were sitting in our seats and we looked at one another and we're like, you know, I don't think so. So we just kind of stood and watched. And it looked kind of fun. It's kind of awkward at first, but then people started dancing and it looked kind of fun. And I kind of regretted not going. Uh, and then we actually started square dancing with the same caller, this caller who was doing it at the East Van Opry, we've started going to these square dances, these square dances that happen at the Wise Hall, where you are, um, where you bump up against the craziest collection of humanity you could ever imagine. People that I would not really have a conversation with. I wouldn't know how to begin to talk to some of these folks. Um, and yet there we are, dancing, laughing, trying to figure out this complicated square dance, high-fiving when we get it right, um, touching one another, laughing together. Fast forward a few years to East Van Opry last night. We knew the square dance was coming, kind of waiting for it, hoping that they were going to do it again. And so uh, Professor Banjo who is the square dance caller, comes up and he says, anybody who wants to square dance, just come on down to the front. And so Matt and I just leap out of our seats. We're like, ready to go down to the front. And we brought some friends. We're like, come on, come on, you guys, come on. And they were like, no. <laughs> and I looked at them and I went, oh, yeah, I remember that. I, I used to be you. I used to be you. And it's this idea that this, idea, this reconciliation thing, you guys, it's not anything that, that we can accomplish. Like, we can't write the square dance. The square dance has already been written. God's written that square dance of reconciliation. He's, he's figured it out. He knows the dance steps already. Maybe God's even the caller. Maybe the Spirit wrote the music. Maybe Jesus, maybe Jesus wrote the dance. 
Maybe the spirit's the one that's inspiring the music, and maybe God's the caller. And he's calling out the steps. And all you need to do is dance. But it's a little bit risky, because you, 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 know, you kind of got to stand up and get out of your seat, and you kind of got to try to do it. And then you actually have to reach out to that person, because you can't do reconciliation on your own. The reconciliation dance, you kind of have to do it with a couple of people. And it's not just even a partner dance, it's like a square dance. So you kind of have to risk. I mean, it feels like a big risk, but really, what are you doing? You're just standing up and saying, okay, caller, what step comes next? And then once you feel comfortable enough living in that new reality, then you invite other people to come. In fact, the only way for you to invite other people to come is if you're already dancing yourselves. The only way for this to work is if you immerse yourself enough in that dance that it, that it becomes something that is worth risking for. So I wonder where you find yourself today. If that analogy works for you, maybe you're just not sure yet about that dance, what it requires of you. Maybe you're ready to get up and dance, but you're not quite ready whether, you, whether to invite anybody else. But I want you to know that that analogy, it extends to far more than just um, being an evangelist and telling somebody that Jesus loves them, right? Being an ambassador of reconciliation, inviting other people to dance, it looks like all different things. And lots of you are already doing that. Inviting someone to dance might even be inviting them to participate in a community hub. It might even be inviting them to participate in the renewal of creation by pulling some weeds. It might even be inviting a coworker out for coffee to hear about what their life is like. It might even be visiting a friend who is unwell and offering them a listening ear. All of that is under this umbrella of that reconnected, reconciling love that God offers us, that God offers us to, to dance, the tune God says to dance to, and the way that we invite others in. So I leave you with, with two questions, because I don't know where this hits you. Maybe you are in need of that reconnecting and reconciling today. Just you and God. Maybe there's something that you need healing for in order to be able to get up and dance. So what is it, what place do you need to be reconnected or reconciled or made whole? What, what is that place in your life? Give that some thought. Or how is God uniquely calling you to invite others to dance? How is God uniquely inviting you to be a minister of his reconnection and reconciliation in your world.